Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. I'm Luke Fraser. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Ryan Ronsell. I'm Brenton Williams. And I am Jeremy Duval. Welcome! And this is definitely not the second time we've recorded the intro because I forgot to hit the record button. Anyway, in other news, I'm happy to have uh, some my fine fellows f- who attended and ran the recent, recent Bay of Kings GT in San Diego. Uh, super fun event, and we're all really excited to talk about it today. Uh, so today on the show, we have the Pacific Northwest Chair, Mr. Ryan Munsell. How's it going, Ryan? It's going pretty good. Nice weather. at baseball this morning with my son, so yeah. Oh, man, I was in... Is, is, that, is he still... Is he Little League age? He's Little League age, but I've decided to venture into the realm of coaching a club baseball team this year. So, Oh, cool. So that's the one where like the little bit more serious kids are the, are the kids who really who want to play like outside of Little League. They can join a club basically to play a sport. Yeah, so it's select. It would be like another term, but there's no like league games you play in. There's just tournament. I kind of got pulled into coaching because they didn't have enough coaches and you know, he wouldn't be able to play if I didn't coach. So I said, all right, sure, awesome. let's do it. Yeah, I knew. I see sometimes on your Facebook baseball posts, so I know that you guys must be a baseball family. Yep, and the Mariners made the playoffs. The 21-year drought is over. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, I love baseball. I grew up in a baseball household. I think baseball – now, did you find baseball? Uh, we're going to have a, a slight, a slight di- uh, a side grade to baseball talk. But did you find baseball yourself or was your dad into baseball or fan, or how, how did you find your love of baseball? So we kind of played all the sports growing up. And then my uncle was actually really into baseball. I, you know, he was really good. And so my cousins played, my brothers played, and it was just, it's always been my favorite sport. It's kind of different than the rest. Yeah, it's just, there's no timer on it. So like there's no, you know, every other sport, there's a clock. You know, with baseball, there's no clock. I just love the history of baseball. You know, it goes back so far. Well, also on the show, we have from the great white north, Mr. Luke Fraser. How's it going, Luke? It's good. It's been uh, unseasonably warm up here, which is sort of a mixed bag, but had a lot of really good kings in the last couple months. So I've got no complaint. We're going to do a hobby roundtable first to see what we're up to, but then we're going to hear from Ryan and Luke on their thoughts of the tournament. So, Luke, I can't wait to hear because this... Because you went to Masters, right, this last year? Or, like, this year now, but the previous Masters? Yeah, the 2022 Masters placed a cool 61st. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Don't, I think I, I, uh, that was better than I did on my first Masters. I want to say I was, like, 63 or something. But when they say it's a tough room, they mean it's a tough room. So I'll be curious to hear, because I know you've gone to some tournaments in Canada and, and Pacific Northwest, to hear about your first experience coming south into California to play in a Kings event. Yeah, and then also we have uh, the Master of Ceremonies, Brinton. Check my byline, Williams. How's it going, Brinton? It's going great. I'm luxuriating in the the freedom of not having a tournament to run in the immediate future. There's a lot of stress off my mind around that. It's like you're you're breathing you're breathing a little bit easier, sleeping maybe a little bit more soundly. 
it it sort of feels like when you would get out of school for the summer, you had this pressure on you that you weren't always doing something about it, but it was always there. Like you should be doing something. And then like, it's the end of the event and all of that is gone. So you're like, Oh, Oh, this feels lighter. Curious. I, I imagine pr- prior to the tournament, you've been, you know, w- w- all your hobby time modeling time has been spent getting ready for that. But now that that's past you, are, are you taking a little break or are you using that sort of breath you can take now to start working on another project or what's sort of in your hobby future? Yeah, so I had wrapped up for Masters. I did a big sort of lot of effort, new army project around a chariot-themed ogre list that I took to Masters and looked good on the table, played okay, but it was there to look good. So it accomplished its goal. I won I won player's choice at Masters, so it was sort of like, yay, that worked. And I told myself that I would have no new army project for next year's Masters if I make it. Um, and then I started like second guessing that deal with myself and it became like no new big army project or no new non speed paint army project. So I'm, I've sort of narrowed in on a new army. I've figured out the theme I'm working on list and I'm doing the really fun part of like army design where you're just kind of looking around online and building Pinterest boards and looking at 3d print options and basing schemes and just sort of learning a bunch before you have to do any of the actual hard work. You're not uh, so painting that's 15, the... 15 spear shafts yet in a row. You're <laughs> no. like the juicy, the creative uh, genesis of the project. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at the fun part where all the possibilities are still open, but I am keeping to a very sort of like speed version of the project once I get into it because I cannot invest the the time i did into the ogres again this year into another project without killing killing myself and others so. you know i mean that was a, a really beautiful army and if you didn't see britain uh had the uh, uh entered into full he got his third degree a display board wanker belt but he had a beautiful hippodrome for his uh ogre chariot army i mean it, it seemed like everyone Love that army, and I know, Britain, you took home player's choice, but how did that feel sort of setting out in a year? You're like, my goal is to paint a Mantic army to its best of my ability, see see how it goes. But when you reflect on that period doing that army, does anything like jump out at you or, or successes or things maybe you, you would have done differently? I mean, lots of things I would have done differently at various points. Uh, I think the important thing for me, and this is my own opinion on it so people can feel free to disagree i think if you are aiming at one of the sort of major hobby awards at a large like 60 70 person gt you have to be a little insane and you have to sort of embrace the those small moments of insanity i think i've joked in the past about like how many highlights can i get on a giant's butt cheek before it's too many but like that's the sort of madness you descend into and you just have to kind of embrace embrace that madness and go with it and then the other thing i would say is that while you aim at these awards you're still really like these awards don't mean anything like a room full of people saying hey nice army should not be the basis of your life and self-worth you're you're painting and hobbying for yourself so the main thing is like i made an army that was painted to the best of my ability at that time i stretched myself for it i i love it if it wins or doesn't win at the end of the day 
that's that's okay. <laughs> it's about just making the the thing that makes you happy on the tabletop. So if that is aiming for the top or just aiming for like what you can do in that army to make you happy, at the end the the judges score, the players choice votes or whatever aren't aren't the thing that you should judge your army by. And I like, you know, uh, you say it all the time, everyone's on their own journey when it comes to hobby and that's something I have to run remind myself all the time about is like I'm on my journey and it doesn't matter how fast or slow other people are going on their journeys that's theirs so I need to stay rooted and like is my path as like a hobbyist is it going in the direction that I want it to go that's all that should matter it shouldn't matter is it going slower or faster than other people who are going in the same direction because I don't you know I have no agency over that yeah, and it's it's toy soldiers. If if it's not fun, why are we doing it? And also, the internet exists. So if you are getting your joy from comparison, there is always someone better. Like I, I scroll all day through Instagram posts that make me feel like I can't paint at all. Oh yeah. Um, so you just have to sort of appreciate someone else's skill, try and get better as you can, but enjoy the process. Because yeah, to me, there it's like always... those kids. You know, you're yeah. learning guitar, and you're like, check out the smoke on the water rift, baby. <laughs> and then it's like someone's just like wailing a solo, and you're like, oh, never mind. But like you said, in the in the end, it's like you have to, I guess, don't take yourself too seriously, too. Sometimes I think maybe us as gamers and hobbyists, we take the game like too seriously sometimes. Absolutely. So the, the bringing it back to the hobby portion of that is I have an army I want to work on but I promised myself that it's not going to be as big a project as my last three armies. And we'll see if I'm lying to myself or not as we okay. get closer. <laughs> uh, what, what about you, Ryan? What's on your hobby agenda now that we're post Bay Kings? Well, being as I didn't quite finish the army I wanted to take to Bay of Kings, which spoiler alert, probably ended up better for me. I'm trying to finish that up. And then uh, I played my first game of Firefight on Friday. So working on painting Ooh, what up was my your, what was your thoughts well. on what was your thoughts on Firefight? We didn't play a scenario or anything, and I literally we just sat down and shot each other. It was fun. I mean, the alternating. I love the alternating activations. It's a good change of pace from Kings. You know, since I only have time for one, maybe two games, it's nice that the two games have kind of different systems. The mechanic of when the command point budgeting, I think, is where a lot of the strategy and tactics are, are going to come in. How soon do you blow all your command points? That's where it's like turn? I'm anticipating when my opponent's going to do this so that I can do that. That's where like yeah. a lot of the chat, you know, thinking a couple moves ahead comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And remembering your special rules would help, too. I forgot about my my three medics the whole game. So you're just going to keep working on the, uh, and if you haven't seen it, uh, it's really beautiful. Just such a cool army. Your uh, creature-themed sort of red wall army, you're just going to keep working on that? There's three units I'm going to finish, which is going to be the Sylvan conversion of that army. And then once those are done, I think I'm going to move on to Firefight. Heck, I mean, even after I finish the one unit I'm working on, I might move over to Firefight because who knows what, the new Clash of Kings book's going to bring. I don't want to start a new unit that I haven't painted yet and then say, oh, I actually don't want this in the new army. Yeah. This will by the be... time this episode has been released, the book, I mean, the book is coming out. They were selling it this weekend at yeah. Clash of Kings. So by the time this episode comes out, all the juicy tidbits will be leaked by that point. So, so I'm going to finish my one unit of their, uh, if anybody's seen the army, their big 
they're like ogre-sized badgers. And they they were going to be the awakened guardians that rally the rest of the little critters, which I thought kind of meant makes sense thematically for the books where the badgers are like the big, big, strong warriors. So what was your th- uh, thoughts on uh, Ryan's army, Britain? I thought it was pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. I love the theme. It's really clean, sort of vibrant painting, even though it's a muted sort of color scheme. So it stands out super well. Tons of theme there. It's just one of the things I love about Kings of War, which is the ability for someone to just see cool models and then make those into an army that works with the way they want that army to be played. So like Ryan ran them as dwarves. They're not dwarf models, but they absolutely work. You know what the army is. It plays sort of how you imagine it. And you just get a bunch of really cool anthropomorphic themed like little warriors out there and it makes it great. So I I constantly am sort of seeing media, books, movies, TV shows, all kinds of stuff and saying like, wait a minute, this this could be a Kings of War army. How can I build this? Let me go start looking at models, looking at stuff. So yeah, I I love the army and I think it's one of the, the great things about Kings are armies like that. Yeah, and it's one of those uh, theme armies that I think where if you just heard it at first, it's like it comes true on the promise. Like if you just heard, I'm going to do an army of nature critters, you're like, uh, okay. But then it's like, bam, just delivered, painted, executed well, really excellent choice of models. And like you said, all the, the model types, like the hedgehog guy who you used as Garrick Heavy Hand, totally made sense as like a de- defense six regen but what ha- what i've learned about uh garrick heavyhand is that when he misses your cab they get to a- to charge him with their thunderous charge but we'll-, we'll talk about that later in the episode what about you luke what's on your sort of agenda arena for hobby stuff you're working on well uh first of all i just want to say uh obviously full respect to Britain, but uh i think somebody has to speak out for those of us that aren't as mentally healthy uh, so I just have to say that outside validation kicks ass, actually. So, yeah, uh, obviously hobby for yourself, but also accolades are awesome, and we should seek them and uh, base our self-worth on them. So my my fall sort of hobby schedule is um, I've got another tournament in two weeks on Vancouver Island, which I'm going to take much the same stuff. And then immediately after, I'm running a an ambush league um, to hopefully drum up some interest locally around here. Uh, we've been playing some ambush games, and I'm like really happy with the format. That they're so quick. Um, it introduces sort of novel ways to play the game. Like suddenly, a you know, thirteen, fifteen infantry regiment lasts for a couple of turns. It really, really changes the way you approach the game. So I've been I've been really happy with that. So uh, yeah, start a new project. I've been planning it out for a couple of months now. Sort of similar, like you know, doing all of my model research and. I, uh, I figured out a basing scheme that I think means I can tile all the bases together as a sort of display board. So I haven't made any real progress on it, but uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll get started. Yeah, I'm curious. I wonder if Ambush is going to sort of serve the po- purpose they were first hoping Vanguard would maybe do is like get people into Kings of War with like needing less stuff. I think Vanguard is a little bit more complex and maybe it's a game to help introduce you to the fantasy side of Kings, but maybe ambush will be this good sort of stepping stone into playing bigger Kings war games. Yeah. It's been like super awesome to play three games in like a standard evening and still have time left over. Uh, And like, I always love anything on a three foot by three foot table. It's just like so much easier to set up 
sort of anywhere. So yeah, I'm super pumped on Ambush. And I know Luke, we haven't had you on the show yet. So why don't when we when we have people on for the first time, we like to get a little background, what their gamer origin story is. So can you take us through how you sort of found miniature wargaming and then later how you found Kings of War? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got into minis through the uh, Lord of the Rings miniatures game. There was a, like a four-page spread in a previews magazine. I don't know if anyone knows previews. And I was just like so enraptured by the idea of the little dioramas. And like, you know, it's just like pictures of guys having fun rolling dice over, you know, a miniature Amon Hen and Weathertop. And it's just like, I was absolutely hooked. So I got into that. And then from there did the usual sort of 40K into fantasy transition. Uh, and then I started playing Kings in... I guess 2019, maybe 2018. Um, I dabbled a little bit earlier in second edition, but found it just a little unexciting. And then, yeah, eventually I made my way back. And between sort of, I guess, maturing as a gamer and knowing what I was after in a miniatures game and all of the additions from Clash of Kings, I've been extremely happy with it. Did you just ask Jeremy if he knows what Previews magazine is? Because you were talking to a massive comic nerd, I think. I'm pretty sure Jeremy is the guy with like the the weekly drop being pulled. Yes, <laughs> at well, the I comic mean, shop. I have scaled back on my on my weekly comic book buying because I just had too many too many short boxes and no place to put them. I kind of I'm kind of and I've been instead I've been now I have uh, collected editions with no place to put them. So I've been buying more like collected edition omnibus hardbounds. Uh, and I have the same problem. So basically, I have nowhere to put anything. Yeah, my dad's a big comic guy. I uh, I never got bit by that bug, but he's got just a basement full of those big white uh, cardboard boxes, you know? Yeah, I mean, they just take a lot of space. My loving wife, uh, uh, we have a small place, and I have a, a really great spot for the hobby table, so I don't like to push my luck. Well, cool. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk a little history of Bay Kings. We're going to talk about... Uh, what went into the planning and some of the awesome stuff Britain had planned for us this year. And then Ryan, Luke, and I will go ahead and talk about our how we did at Bay of Kings, maybe some highlights from our games, what armies we took, uh, etc. So we will be right back. Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS listening to Countercharge. Hey, this is Ash Barker from GMG, and you are listening to Countercharge. And we are back. Okay, Brenton, can you take us through a little bit of the history of Bay of Kings? I know it went away for a little bit, and, and now it's back. Can you take us through sort of the journey that Bay of Kings has gone on? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, started running it back in sort of 20, 2017. We were in the Bay Area, and uh, a friend of ours in the Bay Area, who is no longer, I think, in the King scene, we were sort of sitting around at the game store saying, I wish we had a GT. And then he just came back like the next week and said... Uh, I booked a local game store for a two-day in, like, two months. We're doing a GT. <laughs> and then he kind of, like, dropped out of planning it, and I just took over. So that that was sort of 2017. It grew a little in 2018. It made a big jump in 2019 to have, you know, we had a good number of players and more travel players. That's where we first met the Reno folks. And all of this was happening up in the Bay Area. This was up in Redwood City or Mountain View in the Bay Area where I lived. Uh, and then the sort of pandemic hit and wasn't running any events. And then I moved to San Diego during the pandemic. Uh, Abandoned Jeremy, we know that the sad tale. The one Toby Maguire tears releasing. C yeah. You may continue. 
<laughs> so we we I'll say the full version. We abandoned Jeremy and moved down. And we talked about it originally. It was like I can I can drive up and run it again in the Bay Area, but we kind of didn't have a local player base there. So it didn't make sense to run it there and have everyone travel. We should run it somewhere where some local or driving distance players could come. So we decided to move it down to San Diego. And with that, it was sort of like, okay, where's the timing? Where do we enter in the event calendar? What's the right move? It had always been run in a game store before. Do we switch to sort of running in a hall? Like a lot of decisions kind of needed to be made. And we eventually did what you normally do with an event like this, which is you you just stop thinking about it and just start booking things and then make it happen. So we ran it again after basically a, a couple two to three year hiatus um, from the 2019 up to the 2022 version. I think you're a big proponent of certain ideals that we have across our California events. And I know sp- specifically you, you choose a points level, all that stuff. So I'm curious, yeah, speak to a little bit about what the philosophy behind your event and then more so what you feel in the West, our philosophy in general is about how we like to run our tournaments. Sure. So there's a, there's a couple things. Naturally, if like you're an event runner, you, you tend to be a little bit of a, a you know, unhealthy control freak about stuff right as you're as you're the the really laid back easygoing folks usually aren't opting into to running events we may hide it well but at the end of the day we we have those tendencies so from my side i can't control what's happening on the table it's it's a dice game you know you might have an interaction with your opponent you're not happy about you might just have bad luck you might have brought the wrong army you might have just rolled badly but whatever i can't control that what I can do is I can con- try and control everything around it. Give you essentially, I look at it as like I can give you the best environment to lose <laughs> to bad dice in. So I'm trying to give you a great experience from sort of the moment you come to the moment you leave. A good room, good tables, great people, lots of hangout space, relaxed round timing, so you're not feeling stressed. Good food, good events, all of that stuff I can control. So that when it comes to the table, good luck, bad luck, whether you win the tournament or come in last, you you have enough there that it's a good time, regardless of the stuff I can't control. And I know, Ryan, you've been to a, 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 a tournament run before by Britain. But Luke, what was your sense? Did you did you feel that? And criticism and uh, is a pathway to mastery. So feel free to also critique us. But what did, did you feel that in coming down to Britain's event like that? things were organized and and you felt taken care of as being someone coming from a a ways out of town yeah you're not going to find any criticism here i'm a fully blown britain self-defense so uh uh, yeah it was extremely good he picked me up from the airport ran me to my airbnb there were incredible snacks throughout beautiful venue it was uh truly truly wonderful yeah i mean it was a really beautiful venue why don't you talk about that britain as being you know it's kind of challenge in our neck of the woods right to find something affordable and also fun so talk a little bit to us about the uh location of where bay of kings was at this year yeah so we held it at the marina bay conference center which is this little tiny like older conference center nestled in a spot called quivera basin in san diego so it looks out on kind of a um, a bunch of docks and boats, and then out you the water is sort of in full view of the the front of the room, so you see people paddle boarding around, kayaking, fishing, etc. It's like a little conference center that has a number of different sized rooms all opening up to the outdoors. 
that you hold like wedding receptions, real estate conferences, quinceanera, church breakfasts, whatever, and we and we happen to have a gaming tournament. So I felt it was it was good, like natural light, sunshine, you can step outside, fully functioning air conditioning, which was great. And they have uh because they host all different kinds of parties and events, they have a very liberal like you could just bring your own alcohol in, you can bring your own food, catering, whatever. They don't care as long as it's sort of legal, do what you want. So we were able to have like two big coolers pre-stocked with beer and sodas and waters and a bunch of snacks. On Saturday, we brought in a taco bar. Uh, On Sunday, we brought in pizza. So everyone was able to, if you wanted to step outside, get some air, walk off a loss, you can. But if you wanted to just hang out with everyone the whole time, the, the sort of food and socializing was provided for. I am a huge fan. I don't know what you are, Ryan. Uh, I know you go to a lot of GTs, but for me, when lunch is delivered or I don't have to stress about waiting in line to go get lunch somewhere, that is just awesome. Yeah, that's really great. The events that were the last event I ran up up here, we had the same thing, and it's just so nice. Like People don't scatter for lunch. It also helps with your timing because everybody can just stay there. You don't have people leaving to go eat. Oh, where did they go? Oh, the service was slow. They're going to be back late. So you really, it helps with tournament timing. It, food delivered to the site is the way to go, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just nice. Like you said, it's it, it helps you in timing. It, you don't have to try to uh, go anywhere, hang out with, with everyone at the tournament. So And the the way this all ties in with sort of our, our philosophy, we try and run events on the West, uh, in the West region, is that uh, we have a small player base. So we need people to travel. Like uh, we're, we don't have the luxury of just inviting people in our region and getting a 40 person GT off the ground. Um, we need folks to come out and we know that can be troublesome and expensive. Like coming to, to the West coast, you're probably flying, you're having to pack an army, you're having to stay somewhere, you're po- possibly having to take time off work. So our goal is like, we know that's a hassle. So when you get here, we're going to do everything we can to make that experience awesome. And you, again, to feel taken care of because that's, we, we appreciate that you made the effort to get here. So we want to show our appreciation. And that's something we carry across Bay of Kings and Riddle, Riddle of Steel in, in February up in Orange County, that we appreciate our travel players. We appreciate everyone, but we really appreciate our travel players because we know how much trouble it can be to, to fly everywhere. Yeah, totally. And then do you see us, uh, or do you see the, the, you and the local community using that this venue again in, in the future? Or what's your thoughts on coming back? Yeah, I mean, I have not heard any negative feedback about the venue. <laughs> so, you know, my, my sort of plan right now was after relaunching it this year, which takes a lot of effort, just running it back, like making some tweaks and little changes and making it run smoother you know, maybe ordering a little more pizza on the Sunday, that sort of thing. Getting the beach barbecue at night sort of uh, a little better off the ground in terms of timing, but like tweaks. But basically running most of the same event back and just trying to tweak it. So I'm I'm all for booking, booking either that room or a just as good room in that same venue that has other benefits. So. That's awesome. I mean, I mean as an as a attendee, I loved it. I thought it was so... It, it was really nice. Not a lot of GT spaces have so much natural light, which at this point, uh, maybe by the afternoon, it got hot on some tables. Actually, there was so much light. But in general, I really liked that much how open the room felt. Yeah, and that's sort of 
that goes again with if I'm going to make a bunch of people pay to fly to San Diego or drive a bunch of hours down to San Diego, I don't want to put you in a windowless conference room, you know, 30 miles inland in a nondescript like hotel, right? You could go anywhere in the country and get that experience, which is great. It's fun. Like we've all gone to GTs or events that you go to the hotel, you hang out the whole time in the hotel, you hang out in the gaming hall and that's it. And like, that's great. I love those. But if I'm going to make you fly out here for it, I'm going to give you a taste of what San Diego has. I'm yeah. going to give you tacos. I'm going to give you waterfront views. I'm going to give you sunshine. That's what I need to do. Uh-huh. That, for me, the venue is perfect for that. Kyle's, uh, Kyle's tri-tip, you know? Kyle, yeah, we did a... We, this is going to sound really bougie. It's not that bougie. Although Luke and Ryan can correct me if I'm out of line on this. We had a... Um, a barbecue at a yacht club for our social event Saturday night. Everyone from the GT plus uh, partners, others were invited. Kyle and Rashad, master chefs, uh, cooked up tri-tip with a bunch of sides. You know, there are potatoes, zucchini, mushrooms, tri-tip, all kinds of stuff. And we just hung out on a big patio overlooking the water um, for sunset and into the night. Just hanging out, eating good food, having drinks. It was It was a lovely time. Yeah, I can't get into any details, but I had probably the most interesting conversation I've ever had at a GT ever that night. So uh, thank you to all those involved. But like I said, I can't say any, anything more on that. If you say but anything, he'll have to kill you. He'll have to, he'll have to kill me. So, but just I, it just spoke to me to just the fascinating characters that you meet at gaming, gaming at, at, at tournaments. You know, it's just like the people who are min- miniature gaming come from such interesting and diverse backgrounds. Sometimes you're just like, you do what? That's crazy. Yeah. And that's that's part of the philosophy of the event, again, is that we run it 1995 um, with with generous round timings so that you have plenty of time. One of the best ways you meet people at a GT is you don't know anyone in the room. You play someone, you know them, and then you're keeping track of them for the rest of the event. You're saying hi, whatever. You play another person. Now, you know them better. And so you sort of collect at least a few kind of friends through the experience. And I find at the 1995 points level with the timings we have, you have more time to be sort of friendly, social, and and you're not rushed and hurrying and uh, panicky about that. So I wanted to make it sort of new player friendly, a different meta at 1995 than we had been playing towards Masters. And then it's a soft score event. Best overall was won by someone different than best uh, general. But uh, those soft scores are a reasonably tight grouping. So, you know, if you bring a decent army, you know, tabletop standard, if you play clean and you ride the ups and downs of the games reasonably well, you're going to get full sports. So the idea there is that it's, you know, it's non-judgmental around some of that stuff. I love a big spread on paint scoring when I'm competing. Don't get me wrong. It's what keeps me in contention for anything. Uh but for this one, I wanted it to be a kind of new player friendly. You can bring your tabletop army and you're not going to feel bad about it. You're not going to lose 10 places in the event because yours is tabletop and someone else is better. Yeah. And I think we want to grow this into, you know, Rashad, the Riddle Steel is like our boutique. It's like our, our trademark boutique event. I mean, it's held at Scott's house. It has like a set amount of players, et cetera. And I think we see Babe Kings is maybe growing into one of our bigger, more sort of quote unquote open format event. So is that also in your mind as kind of all, not only the type of player, but may, maybe where you envision Bay going, that if you can get these more new players, maybe the tournament would evolve or 
are in many ways to have a big tournament, you need players of all skill levels to feel welcome anyway. Yeah, I mean, I I generally have the philosophy that I, I love sort of variation in tournaments. I wouldn't want the entire country, every event to play 2300 exact same scoring exact same scenarios exact same everything i think there's room and space and for me when i looked at the events we run in the west region as well as like our sister pacific northwest and looking towards texas like a lot of the events we we attend that the sort of 1995 straight through points value wasn't one i saw a lot so i thought coming a couple months after masters making people sort of shake up and not just run their master's list back with a couple item tweaks or something, but actually really think about what they're playing. I wouldn't want to play every event at 1995, but I think it fills a gap. That, yeah. That's how I tried to think about the event. It's like, what are we not currently doing right now? And what makes sense to really make it a low barrier for people to just show up and play? And I'm curious, to that guy's to, to Luke and Ryan... Did the 1995 was that interesting to, to build in that level? Did you did it affect what army you were going to bring? Or talk a little bit about the building at the 1995. I like 2300 better than 1995, but as Brenton said, variety is nice, and it did. I mean, for, oddly enough, for me, it the list building did not impact that much because I could just trim two things out of my master's list, and it went right down to 1995 it makes i don't know it's hard to to me when i'm list building at 1995 all my lists look very similar there's not a lot of variety so for me it's harder in the fact that i'm really trying to get variety in my lists because i like to do different things but i take the stuff that i want and the stuff that i need to perform and then there's not much left over so it's hard in that respect, but I don't enjoy it as much. And I think you get better variety when you go to the, uh, you know, like 2,200, 2,300. But I did enjoy a tournament of a different size. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I noticed at that point level and the uh, the generous round times, it was nice to not feel rushed at all. Yeah, as far as me, like when I travel to an event, being in the corner of the country, I, I want to meet people. I want to talk to people and if the round times are such that I don't feel like I have time to do that, it to me, it's I will travel to the ones with better round times because, like I said, I want to meet new people that I'm not going to see except for maybe this one or two times a year. Yeah. So for me, that's a huge part of a GT is, yeah, we all go for the game, but as it's been said many times, we go to see the people and hang out with the people. And if it's so tight on time that I don't feel like I have time to talk to my opponent during the game except for strictly about the game, then I don't have as good of a time. And what about you, Luke? What, what were your thoughts on the playing at 1995? Yeah, I liked 1995. Um, the Vancouver Island meta has been really growing over the last year or so. So um, starting about this time last year, they were playing 1995. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty used to it. Overall, I probably like 2300 better. But uh, yeah, uh, 1995 is definitely a, a worthy size. So if you've never tried an event at it, I would fully recommend it. it just it switches things up a little bit. You've got a little more uh, room to breathe on the board. So some faster, more fragile stuff can be a little, you know, get a chance to shine better. Like, you know, if you want to break your Panther Lancers out, then uh, they can they can really be stars in that format. But I uh, I am also a big advocate for variety, so it was, it was a good choice. Awesome. 
Okay, Ryan, why don't you take us through uh, what faction you brought? And, uh, I mean, it's, it's not much of a spoiler alert, but Ryan did win best overall, so congratulations. Like, Thank you. I, I'm just happy when I beat you in the last game that I didn't uh, – the, the nice Jeremy didn't beat you bad enough to uh, make it so you were not crowned champion. But uh, <laughs> but but you did beat him bad enough to split best battle and best overall. Yes. So which... I was just a, a reminder to Ryan again on what's truly important, and it's, it's, it's the best <laughs> overall. No one, you know – who cares about battle? Which, as a as a TO, I love to see those things split. I, I like when it's, you know, there's some drama in there. makes it more fun. So yeah. Well, I mean, it shows you how well Ryan was doing in his first four games that, you know, he could take a loss and still be in a, a really great spot to win the tournament. But congrats again to you, my friend. Uh, always a pleasure when we match up an event. But can you, take us, can you take us through your army and maybe talk a little bit about who you played, your record, maybe some highlights from your Bay of Kings? Sure. I'll, I'll start out with the army. As many people know, I just I was looking for an army to use those red wall anthropomorphic models as, and I settled on dwarves for masters. Um, and I, I played them again as dwarves for Bay Kings, just with a few little, I just took out a couple units. So I had the Kyle Timberlake will disagree with me, but if you're playing infantry dwarves, you take the formation. It's just better. You're wrong, Kyle. And I won. So that means I'm right. Um, so I had the formation with the horde of ironclad with brewer strength and a dog, the two bulwark with dog and the banner bear that can't take an item. And then I took Garrick heavy hand and I had a stone priest that had Bane chant two Baelish shadows, three radiance of life. And then the horn that gives your aura nine inches instead of six. I also had a King on large beast with, Trickster's Shard. Um, I had a horde of shield breakers with Pathfinder and a throwing dog. I had a battle driller. I had two troops of sharpshooters. And I had Gallic. And I think that's it. I don't think there was anything else. Mr. Heavy Hand? Yep, Garrick Heavy Hand. Love that guy. He's great. Unless he's fighting Jeremy's Knights. <laughs> He he was he, he he transitioned from the biggest jerk in the world to oh I feel bad about you sir you couldn't hit me at all so <laughs> but I think he probably trends more towards the really stupid jerk on the spectrum but yeah so first first game uh, first two games I played uh, Richard Fendenall and uh, Beef who are two the Cali guys great games nothing I mean. Lots of funny games. Nothing really like, and this could be because they're the first two games, but nothing really like jumps out to me in those games as, oh my gosh, this is a crazy moment. Um, I did win both. Um, my third game, I played uh, Zach from Reno, and this was, every game from this one on was crazy tight and like super stressful, but in a good way. Um, Zach's a great player. Um, he think he did really well on Masters and Paragon, and we'd only played once on UB. Um, and as he readily admits, I lost that game on UB because of a Snake Eyes roll. So we're playing, and kind of the big moment, well, there are two big moments in this game, so I'll do two, is I think it was like turn three or four, um, I had a chance to break his Siege Breakers that were kind of on the back of his line in the middle. So if I broke them, 
I'd be able to reform Gallic and what else? And the King on Large Beast, which got into the flank. I'd be able to reform them and kind of face into his units that were facing the rest of my army and kind of make a sandwich. Uh, I got them to Snake Eyes and I rolled Snake Eyes. And then he was able to heal them out of being devastated. And that also allowed the other Siege Breakers to flank Gallic. And the other ones went in the front. So Fresh Gallic got picked up off the board. Um, and then it was kind of an uphill battle from then on out. And the other big moment, which was really weird because both Zach and I, well, which one are we rooting for? It was, it was turn six. And I charge his unit of hunters in the flank with a regiment of bulwark. And I had a, they already had some damage on it. I had a pretty good chance to kill him. And I rolled like a three or four to waver him. And I'm like, well, shoot, I can't win on six now because I needed the instinct off the board. Zach takes his turn or no, I, t- I was bottom six. So I finish out my turn. I roll for seven and we get a seven. Zach's taking a seven and um, we had a rules question that Brinton came and resolved, but essentially it boiled down to he could not charge my bulwark because his unit of hunters were wavered there. So he could not remove that unit strength from the board. So oddly enough, that waiver really helped me for turn seven because it saved my bulwark, which if I killed him, he could have charged me with siege breakers. So then turn seven on my turn seven, I pick up his hunters, which were very damaged. And I got, I think I eked out like a narrow win over Zach. So, but that was a really tight game and lots of fun. Uh, game next game I played me and Luke played um, and he really like if we were playing the key that it came down to was my right flank and his left and I kind of broke my rule of I always keep my horde of shield breakers and my horde of ironclad together in the middle so they can support each other but I put my shield breakers on the far right flank because I think there was a big piece of impassable there and I'm like if I get them across along with this regiment of bulwark, that's seven unit strength. And it was invade. So playing invade with dwarves can be tough. And he didn't have a lot stacked over there. So I was like, well, if I can get these across, that's seven unit strength. I can lose in the middle. And as long as I can take some things with me, I'll still win. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. Those two units got across the board. And that was seven unit strength, and I was able to whittle down and kill enough of his main force, even though the battle happened like in my deployment zone, in the middle of the board, to where I still got the win. Um, so at that point, I'm four and I don't think there's there's no other four and and you know I kind of did the math, and I'm like, well, gosh, I'm up by like sixteen points. You know, I can maybe lose this last game and still win best general. And I matched up against Jeremy. Um, and I was, I thought I'd do okay because he has the Knights and the Elohi and those two regiments of Bulwark. They don't care about those, but it was pretty tough because essentially I deployed kind of refused flank on the right side. And then I left the like left third of the board empty and he put only Julius over there. And first turn, 
he flew him up in and he's like looking down my line and I had to make a decision of do I turn to face him with my horde of ironclad or do I just move up eight inches and give him a double charge with ogre palace guard on the ironclad but then Julius can't charge them and then you know deal with Julius with other stuff so I ended up doing the latter um and on Jeremy's turn he had a big decision to make where he could have oh, doubled yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy. He and we he, did the math, and it was close. I think it was yeah, you. It was really if everything was average, you needed a six twice to break me. But if you didn't break me, you know the other resources you had to commit to keep the rest of my army from hitting those palace guard were. It was a big commitment. Yeah. It was one of those situations where an infantry horde walks into two unhindered charges of both your ogre palace guards, which is exactly what you want to be charging, like a double ogre palace guard unhindered into like uh, uh, his key infantry horde. And I just was like, the risk, because if I had done it and failed, I would have lost both ogre palace guard hordes. Plus, I would have had to spend so much. So I ended yeah. up not doing it but i questioned myself for the next two turns i was like oh man should i, I and i still don't know the, the answer uh, i mean it ended up working but a lot of other crazy stuff happened but i still don't know the answer of what i should have done in that situation yeah well i you won so you made the right decision <laughs> that's that's the answer but i i mean i told you i probably would have taken it just because you know next turn you're like okay now i can charge him but you're like well these are worse odds than it was with the two palace guards so, yeah. um, but I don't think you were leaving yourself out to dry as much by not breaking them. Um, so spoiler, he didn't take it and I ended up moving up. Um, and the right side of the board, I correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, but it was just a huge grind, wasn't it? Like with, oh yeah. The, so I sent up um, and yeah. the king on beast and the Elohi and the knights, like yeah. we just bounced kept. off each other forever yeah and then another big moment in the game was he had charged his regiment of elohi into my shield breakers to kind of uh block me up and when i countercharged him these are shield breakers with hitting on threes with elite crush one and i think i bane chanted him and i needed to pick those elohi up if i pick them up then i'm in a really good spot and I missed it by one. I rolled like a three. And I'm like, gosh, I they, one, they should have been on Snake Eyes, you know, with all those attacks. And then to roll a three. So I was kind of on the back foot from there. And then I think like the turn after this, when Garrick, um, Jeremy has a regiment of knights on, on a hill with the Ram Helm. So they're t Thunders three, Thunders four with the hill. Garrick charges him. And first turn I hit him and I damage him. I do a couple damage. He hits me back. You know, it's a pillow fight because Garrick's a tank and but doesn't quite do enough damage to pick up the knights quickly. But on my second round, on my counter charge, I hit zero times. I'm like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. So I'm like, wait a sec, you're on a hill. So his knights went from 16 attacks on threes, wounding on sixes. Uh, to it's 16 like attacks on threes, wounding on twos. <laughs> I just imagine the Basilean Knights, the dwarfs just get the muddy and they're like, how dare you, sir? You yeah. have thrown mud on our beautiful horses. And then all of a sudden it's TC4. <laughs> I would yeah. on twos now instead of sixes. It's insane. It's funny. I mean, they, they, they didn't pick up Garrick that turn, but they did enough damage to where they could then kind of win the grind. Um, 
So essentially, I just couldn't at that point. We were playing loot, right, Jeremy? Yes, it was loot. Yeah. Uh huh. So I couldn't. I think you had two tokens and I had one, and I just couldn't get to one of those tokens because my stuff got kind of blocked up. But Jeremy, he played it really well. Like, um, I went in feeling pretty good about that game, and I was quickly reminded that dwarves don't like flyers in their backfield. Yeah, and like we talked about jerks earlier, Julius is uh, uh, the court reporter for for club jerk a lot, so he he can be a big jerk sometimes. Well, hey, hey, at least my my ironclad one shot him. <laughs> oh yeah, that was crazy. He went down. Oh yeah, that was uh, he did. You did have your revenge. Uh, yeah, and I just missed. Uh, we had to call Brenton over, right? Because the oh yeah, the, the, almost the, had a flank on those siege breakers. Oh, no, with the ogre palace guard, and yeah, like if uh-huh. he's in the flank, like he couldn't. That was his only possible charge. Yeah, no, and I had like, a couple. He, yeah, I had a couple things go my way. Uh, that mini school, like one millimeter in my front instead of in my flank, went my way. You like you had an underperforming combat plus a couple of bad nerve rolls. Uh, so it was really tough. Dwarves are just like that. Those infantry hordes in that dwarf formation are just terrifying. The formation is, it's really, really good. Yeah, just terrifying. But um, congrats again, uh, Ryan, to best overall. And then we have Luke, who took down best battle. So Luke, can you tell us a little bit about what, what you took and maybe some highlights from your games at Bay Kings? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I took Trident Realm, as I have been playing uh, most of this year. Uh, my list was a horde of Nyad and Snarers, which I'm a little so-so on, but they're also my uh, prettiest base, so I feel obligated to bring them. Uh, I've got two hordes of Depth Horrors, two Knuckers, a Coral Giant, uh, the Nyad Centurion with the Boots of Levitation and the Trident of the Drowned Seas, which, if you don't know Trident Realm... Uh, it's a 12-inch range shooting attack with five attacks on range three, with piercing one. And if it damages the target, they're disordered. So that's like a really strong disruption tool. Um, I've got a Death Horror Eternal. The Thule Aquamage with a Sacred Horn, uh, a Wild Charge plus one aura, and Veil of Shadows 3. And then the Thule Formation, which, uh, yeah, if you haven't played with it, it uh, Thule are fast, so they give Pathfinder and access to a Thunderous Charge one aura. So it's sort of a deceptively fast list. Uh, most stuff charges at least 13. So I was able to move up the board pretty aggressively in a lot of cases. Trident Realm is a really weird list where uh, most of my stuff can take one solid punch in the jaw and not really care. But uh, as soon as I start losing things, uh, I can fall apart real fast. So my games, uh, game one was against Kyle Timberlake's Basilea. It was Control. Uh, it went well for me. I think it was a pretty bad matchup for him. He had the uh, Elohai Horde with the uh, Divine Fervor or whatever it is. So it was crushing and, and Brew of Strength. So it was a Crushing Strength 3, Defense 4, Elohai. And most of my list is Defense 3. So it's just not very good against me. Um, I With Knuckers and the Centurion, I was able to sort of control his faster stuff. Um, which allowed me to find out his. he had some Ogre Palace Guard and some Paladins. Good combo charges in there. Um, and then it took me about four turns to kill Samacris, uh charging her in the flank a bunch of times, because turns out uh, Trident Realm can be a little pillow-fisted if you don't set things up right. But uh, yeah, I managed to take that one. Uh, game, game two was Raze against Wade's Goblins. 
and it was it was a little more dramatic. Um, the center, which he sort of hollowed out a little bit, he had some rabble in there, and then he deployed more heavily on his flanks. Um, I went in with a triple charge onto a horde of rabble. No, it might have been a quadruple charge. Anyway, I put a lot of stuff into these rabble and rolled the dreaded double one. So uh, that that blocked me up in the middle a little bit. And then he his um, mincer went into some fresh depth horrors and managed to spike the nerve roll. I think he needed a 10 twice and picked it up. So my center was looking to be in trouble. Um, and then I desperately, desperately needed to pick up uh, Grony Snark and a troop of um, uh, what do you call it? The the fast cav, goblin fast cav, uh, uh, flea bag riders. Flea bag, yeah, yeah. And uh, thankfully, the dice were favoring me on that flank, so I sort of collapsed over there and then managed to bring things in towards the end. Um, game three was against uh, Sean Polka's Twilightkin. It was dominate. Uh, I think. Probably um, Trident Realm are a tough matchup for Twilight Kin in general. And he was running four regiments of Blade Stalkers, the Twilight Blade Stalkers, obviously. So their Hammer of Measured Force effect, whatever the Dream Slayer Venom, I think it's called, uh, is actually bad against most of my list. It helps me stay alive longer. Um, and then I'm running the Veil of Shadows. So I had a reasonably good time defending against that. And man, the dice were a little all over the place in that one. Um, Crucially, his first round of shooting was kind of a dud, so there just wasn't that much pressure on me early in the game, so I could position a little more carefully. Uh, there was one round where he wavered, I think, three things that ended up being really in the way, so I thought I was done for at that point. But uh, then the next round, I managed to get a couple of kills that I didn't really deserve um, and, and close things up there. Probably the highlight of that game was Lafayette Bleakhart, who was disordered, took a hindered charge into a regiment of Thule. She hit on a six, and she dealt damage on a three, and routed them. <laughs> oh, dude, that's awesome. Take yeah. my staff away. You know, she comes, exactly. you know, hits you with her hair. You know, does a hair whip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I'm not yeah, locked having... in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Totally. I, I played a similar list to Sean. Or should I say, Sean played a similar list to me. Of course, kidding. of course. At, at Masters. And yeah, Twilight can struggle against uh, Trident Whelms for that very purpose. The fact yeah. that uh, they're auto-wound on fours. The, uh, and also uh, coming back, there's not a... Uh, they're just so weak, and there's a lot of twi uh, Trident Realms that have just volume attacks, like that Thule formation, etc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is, and I, I think it is a, a tougher matchup for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah, because I often like uh, Demon Six, and we'll get into that in the next game. Uh, is a real slog for me. Like I, I really need to get like absolutely favorable charges to grind through the tough stuff. Whereas you know, Defense Four and Defense Three Elves, it's not so bad. I can you know late game just sort of chew through them. Um, yeah, so that game there. And then game four, uh, round one of day two was against uh, our overall winner, Ryan. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he crushed me pretty bad. Um, I, think, I think ultimately deployment was the biggest, the biggest deal. That sort of uh, his right-hand flank on the other side of the building where he had seven unit strength worth of dwarves. I didn't contest it enough, and I left the uh, horde of night and snarers pretty poorly supported over there. Uh, and yeah, like the, I'm, I'm sort of mixed in my feelings on that that unit. But certainly, when you leave it on its own in a two-on-one fight, uh, it's not going to go well. So, um, 
yeah, sort of by the middle of that game, I was playing from behind and I was trying to, you know, make something happen with some big plays, but it just, it just didn't really materialize. I, uh, I bashed my head against his big old defense five and defense six wall and just, just couldn't make it happen. So he, he won a decisive victory in that one. And then uh, game six was against, uh, it was looped against uh, Scott Holcomb's gorgeous green lady army. And, yeah, really. Uh, he 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 makes really beautiful armies. Yeah, like famously, like I, I'm pretty yeah. sure everyone listening to this is familiar with Scott Holcomb's sort of hobby uh, standards. Um, so it was loot, and he made a really aggressive bid turn one because he went first for two of the tokens. He had two Pegasus and two winged unicorns, and he they had them deployed directly behind or, um, the Pegasus, directly in front of the unicorns. He flew them both up at the double and picked up the tokens with the Pegasi. Sorry, with the winged unicorns, with the Pegasi as pure chaff. Um, and then sort of turned around and walked away with the unicorns. Um, and we were, we were chatting about it after the game. And he had had it go really well in a previous game. Um, but then by about turn two, he was really kicking himself for doing the same gambit because he was basically down like four sort of essential chaff control pieces. So I had like total control over the way the engagements went. Um, and then of course he just barely squeaked out. I, I had uh, flank charged his order of the forsaken, the Pegasus Knights with uh, Nucker. And it was like a pretty, pretty busy side of the table. There was a forest and there was a fence and he, he had a uh, two regiments of Draugr just as sort of like allied in chaff. Um, and it was pretty busy over there, but he just barely managed to sneak a non-flying flank charge onto my Naiad and Snarers. Um, and it was hindered because he landed on a, um, a wall. So he, I think he did about 16 wounds. Um, so it wasn't a guaranteed uh, charge, but uh, he only wavered them. So they managed to survive. Um, and that, of course, left his Order of the Forsaken open for to receive a flank charge from one of my regiments of Thule, uh, which tragically only did five damage with 40 attacks on threes and fours. Uh, but it was enough for a waiver, and he failed his headstrong roll. I don't think he passed a Oh, no. Dude, that there's, not, there's nothing more depressing than failing yeah. headstrong. That's like yeah. my most depressing thing to ever happen. I just hate it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that sort of quadrant of the table was just uh, both of us blundering one after the other. Um, and then, of course, by the end of the game, my ensnarers were down to about three wounds because of regeneration, which uh, wasn't important, but it is a real insult to injury sort of situation. For sure. What about you, Britton? When you were uh, walking around, checking on tables, answering rules, questions, were there any moments you heard or saw or any matchups like going into the round that you're like, ooh, this is going to be an interesting matchup? Any, any thoughts there? I mean... Um... Some definitely, like I, I forget them. I sort of purge most of that from my brain as as the rounds start and the next thing kicks off. And the weird sort of reality of a of a Kings of War tournament organizer compared to the sort of Warhammer days or some other stuff is that you do all of this sort of work to get things set up and then you kick off the round. And we're at a point where most people know the game pretty well. Most things are reasonably straightforward. Players are good. And it just starts buzzing. And you see dice rolling, people moving, stuff happening. And you kind of feel useless for a few minutes, <laughs> which is a very odd feeling. You're just suddenly like, oh, oh, yeah, people can just play this game. 
um, it's not this weird cutthroat environment with everyone yelling judge every two minutes. You you kind of sit down and like, <laughs> breathe, breathe a little. And then like someone calls judge and I come running over and 95% of the time when someone needed me, it was just, is this a flanker front? It's really close and we just need someone to make a call because we don't want to roll a dice. Um, that was most of it. And then there are a few sort of interesting rules conundrums. Um, in terms of matchups, it was always just, is this is Ryan going to lose this round or is Luke going to lose this round for like most of the beginning because they were kind of headed towards each other. As, uh, we had separated them at the beginning because they were both from the Pacific Northwest region. And then as they were winning games, it's like, okay, who's going to win out of the two of them? And then it was just like, okay, who's left from the three and one people to play Ryan because he had played all the three and one people besides Jeremy. So that was an interesting, you know, in that final round is Ryan going to go five and oh and just walk it or is it going to get really interesting? Uh, and he loses and it depends how much Luke wins by. So I, I think I took battle by one point. Yes, it, it was one point you jumped him by if Jeremy had been harsher if julius had been more of a jerk or if scott had sort of you know the way his army plays and the way he plays his army is when it wins it it can win big when it things go sideways for it things just start going very sideways <laughs> he's it's a very aggressive list so as soon as it it's losing it it loses hard so if you had managed to win that final game by just one less point or jeremy had taken one more point off Ryan and his win, it, it would have been different, but you got him by, you peeped him by one. I took, I decided to take a, my base aliens with where everything is with the Twilight Kin. I sort of had a little uh, wind from the sails come out of that project, but I'm still excited to see where Mantic is going to take them IP wise. Uh, and I've already like shifted into like EODs on my like Teen Beat has like the EOD army on my wall and I got the hard eye emojis. So like I've already moved on to the EOD. Uh, but I took my base aliens, just an army I know I had done. I played it a thousand times. So I somewhat autopilot army just because I've, I've played it so much. So two man at arm troops, two Gur Panthers, double knight regiments, one with strength, one with helm. Then the tor- which I gotta call them. Um, I gotta come up with some sort of name about them since they killed uh, uh, Heavy Hand that way. So they're they're gonna get some fluff uh, specific name in the future. Excellent. Yeah, two Ogre Palace Guards, Stang Stone Dwarven Ale, two Elohi Regiments. I chose to run them. I like the regiment keeping the defense five. It makes them a little bit annoying so that if your opponent does fluff, like it was so huge in Ryan and I's game, the dash 14 defensive five, defense five can actually stick around a little bit. And it just it, it helps the rest of my army function. I got a priest with a uh, conjurer staff. So just so that he gets a little bit more value out of his heel three that he comes with. And then of course, Julius. So um, I had a, a good first couple of games. Uh, I lost my first game against Big Dan Wright from Portland, and he was playing like the double white, double soul reaver, like the Anna special, but with uh, more wraith troops. And we had this army that we knew whoever bounced first was going to lose because the counter charge from ogres or counter charge from soul reavers or whatever is so powerful. 
that it, 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 it's kind of going to come down to that because the first couple of turns, everything that I charged, I killed everything that he charged, he killed. So nothing was being left behind. And then finally I had one, uh, you know, last hurrah, the trumpet blaring charge. And then I just stopped at vampires. <laughs> and then they were like, let me, you know, say hello to my little friend. And uh, he killed like my whole army in one counter charge. But still fun game. Always, uh, you know, that was actually the first time I got to play Dan. After all these years, I have never played Dan right. It was cool to actually get a game in with Dan. Uh, first, next two games, uh, played Richard and Anthony. Pretty uh, uh, good games, uh, uh, close games, but was able to pull out uh, the victory. So going into day two, I was two and one. I, I played Sean at uh, Polka in my first game. Very well-played game. My dice were on Nuclear Fuego. I was just like, oh, I need fours to hit. Oh, with my ogres, because they're charging in the woods. Oh, they hit you 16 times. Or it was one of those games where you're getting as much damage as you should get hits, like consistent through the whole game. So he played well, but there was a couple combats that he, he gave me one charge on his glade stalkers in the rear that i think he you know didn't see until we were there and then but other than that i just was like diced them off basically but still felt good to, to smack those evil little elves and then the last game obviously was, was against ryan super close game always great you know ryan and i play all the time uh if not in person we play on ub a lot so i think we're I mean, I think we're pretty equally matched, Ryan. I don't know what you think, but I think we're we're really within cl close to each other skill wise. Yeah, our games are always close, and Super it was close. we actually hadn't played for a while be before this, so yeah. I don't think we'd played since the pandemic. Maybe I'm sure we did UB, but it's been a while. Yeah, oh, not in person. Yeah, and we had this one run where it was really interesting. Like one Rose City. Uh, Ryan beat me, but I beat him for overall by one point. And then at the like that next Emerald City GT, it was reversed. So Ryan and I always play in similar tournaments and always seem to meet up at like really key games. So, and that was just a super close game. I I, I wanted Julius to be annoying, and I picked up one token early. And I, so my goal there was just to try to get the tokens and then just get stuff in the way and then just kind of use his, his slower speed to maybe just not be able to get to my tokens. But I think it was a couple key things. It was that take deciding to take or not take that double ogre charge. And then the Elohi holding up those, that horde of shield breakers an extra turn was great. And then we both had some double ones. It was just like a really crazy game. But again, I felt like the the low nerve rolls that I needed you to get, you got them in the in the combats that I needed you to have them, right? So it's yeah. not like you roll double ones in the combat that doesn't matter, and then you roll tw tens twice in the ones that does. You had your low rolls where I needed you to have them. Yeah, we both had low rolls. Like you had some low yeah. rolls too, but the timing of mine were yours were way worse than mine. I thought. Yeah, I I think dice wise our game was pretty good. We both had some hot and low and about the same, but I think where the 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 tipped it in my favor was your low rolls just came at the most opportune. Like oh well, that's that's bad. <laughs> yep, agreed. But super fun game. I I think I ended up in fourth or fifth. I'm not sure, but super fun. Really great tournament. I'm super excited. I hope, I guess we'll go with you first, Luke. Do you, are you planning on maybe coming again next year? Or you had a good time coming to a West tournament? Do you see yourself coming down to any more of our events sometime in the future? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've only started traveling earnestly for events this year. I mean, uh, <laughs> there was a pandemic. Well, is sort of anyway. Um, so I was sort of thinking that I would try to do, you know, one new event every year and then, you know, go to Masters and some of the PNW stuff. But uh, it's going to be extremely difficult not to go to Bay of Kings again. <laughs> I had a really, really good time. That's got to make you feel good, Britain, when you hear that. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, um, is to convince people to come again. I know that's difficult because there's so much good stuff out there. But selfishly, as a tournament organizer, I don't want you to go to other events. I want you to go to mine. I just imagine Britain (laughs) massaging you with donut fingers, where it's like, oh, welcome to my tournament. You want some donuts? Oh, here. Oh, we have a taco bar. Oh, just, just relax. And then it's like, next thing you know, you've been there forever. But it's just like a super fun event. Yeah, you're not far off. What about you, Ryan? I know you try to make Babe Kings. You've been a couple of times. I know we really love having you and Dan Wright. And and also, I think it's great that we do events like we do it for you guys. But this event is a dual qualifier for people from your region. So I think that that dual qualifier has been a great success for us. I think we get a lot of travel now between our two regions. Yeah, I I like that, too. Um, I think that helps us because I think since we're on the side of the country, like, it's hard to pull travelers from elsewhere. I think like for us to support each other really helps both of our scenes and draw more travelers. Cause like, if I'm going to travel ac- across the country, I'm not going to travel across the country for like a 15 person event. Usually like if, you know, but like coming down to you guys, that's not cross country. I don't have to change time zones. You know, the flight was surprisingly cheap. Lodging ended up being really cheap as well. So yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, for me, I just had the, I would come back every year and I am going to do my damnedest to next year. It's just, will the, will I be able, will it be one of, you know, how many events can I go to next year is kind yeah. of the, the issue. But, and I think it's nice, Britain. I, I, when I see that, or I see people at Riddle of Steel or, I see the Reno scene. I just go back to you and me playing in like heretic games and like a couple people at Scott's house that we didn't even know or whatever. And I, I know we still are, our midway are, we, we still have a long way in our journey where we want to grow our scene, but can you speak a little bit about to the growth you have seen in sort of the up and down the Western part of the United States? Yeah. I mean, we, we have a limited player pool. So for us to run events that are anything more than the, 10 to 15 people we have to get travel players but what we've done really well is those players in the west region are really good at showing up to a bunch of the events traveling like reno folks coming out um folks from southern california going up to reno and other events traveling um we have a lot of players that that travel pretty hard like they go all over um, from our little region. So while we have a small number of players, they are small, small but mighty. But our goal is, uh, speaking from, like organizationally, we have our sort of calendar of events. We have a predictable time for running those. Um, Bay of Kings is going to be late September, early October, depending on the weekend that works best around other people's schedules from other major events in the country, trying to avoid those so that we can get travel people. It's a great time to visit San Diego. It's most of the tourists have gone, but the weather has stayed, so it's beautiful. 
And then we have a Reno event happening in the fall. Um, it's in November this year that sort of when they're picking up that slack and then after the holiday period, we have Riddle of Steel in February, which is an amazing event to visit, especially if you're anywhere from sort of north or east in the country. You know, getting to Southern California, getting to Orange County in February is a great time to get the heck out of, you know, snow and sleet and rain and whatever, um, the cold. And then we are looking at running stuff in the back half of the year, and then it's Masters in the summer, and then we start again. So um, the goal is that we have a number of very welcoming events. Um, we would love people to come out and play in them. If you can't make my event in September, I would love you to. If you can't, go to Riddle. If you can't make Riddle, try another one. Um, we're going to give you a good time, whichever one you pick and can make it out to. Yeah, and maybe you too, Ryan, as, a, as, a, as our sort of, we like to say, sister region. I know the Portland scene is up and uh, starting to grow with, with new people. And I know you had just run your own event uh, a little bit before um, uh, Bay of Kings. But I think up in your neck of woods, you have found now a great game store that's going to be really working with you guys around your tournaments you're running. Yeah, it's uh, actually, it's really awesome. Like for the longest time, like we had no game store to run events at you know we ran one at one a little north of seattle pretty close to the masters venue and it went okay and then after that tournament they said oh we're not going to do two-day events anymore you're welcome to do one days well that kind of knocks that out um and i've been eyeing this shop which is actually five minutes away from my current residence but it won't be once we move but i've been eyeing them for like three or four years we ran a campaign day there one time um but they opened up a second event space which was their old warehouse and they got a new warehouse and it's right in like downtown of a of a suburb of seattle there's lots of places to eat and drink nearby um it's also a restaurant so they will cater food from their main shop down to the venue space uh again you come in in the morning you know they ask hey if you guys can order your whatever you want for lunch order when you get here and we'll bring it all down to you uh that worked out really well um, and there some stuff in the works for some travel perks for people out of town coming in to make traveling much more affordable, but nothing is set in stone yet. So I don't want to. So stay tuned is what you're saying. Yes. Stay okay. tuned. Stay tuned. But there might be going... some, some good stuff coming. Yeah. Well, from what he said, there will be, he's like, I just don't have all the financial numbers ironed out yet. Um, but he owns the shop and he's like, he came to me and he said, Hey, how can I get more players here? And for an owner to come and say that for a game that he doesn't even carry, they don't carry Mantic. He said, I just want to have people playing games. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it's called Zulu's games. Um, Zulu's board game cafe, I think is the official name, but uh, check them out. I mean, they have a Facebook page and it's, it's a really cool shop. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we will do shout outs and wrap up the show. We'll be right back. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zanshen Fan Ji. Do you take delight in playing with friends and their toys in a safe place free of judgment? Countercharge after dark. It's where magic happens. Check the show notes and Facebook group announcements for the Discord link. 
And we are back. Well, awesome, fellas. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was really great to talk about Bay of Kings. I know we all had a great time. Thanks again to Brinton for running such uh, an awesome tournament and to being a, a foundational pillar in the, in the Western uh, scene as we continue to try to grow and get awesome events. And really, I mean, if you, if you, you're thinking about coming, want to come out to an event, definitely reach out to Britain, reach out to myself. You know, we'll do whatever we can to try to support you in coming out to one of our events. So if you need a ride or you don't, you know, anything like that, we'll do whatever we can to make uh, you coming out to play with us uh, happen. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. So yeah, they, they really mean that, guys. Okay, so as far as shout-outs or what's coming up on your agenda, Britton, what's going to be, what's sort of uh, the next six months looking like for you? So Riddle of Steel is coming up in February, so that's the next sort of big West event that we're running. There's an event up in Reno in November. Um, but outside of that, um, I am trying to get a bunch of sort of fun, relaxed hobby stuff done until I hit the sort of you know, February is Riddle, March is Adepticon, April might be Lone Wolf, uh, and then Masters, all sort of boom, boom, boom in a row while working on an army, hopefully for Masters. So I'm sort of just trying to trying to relax and do fun stuff in the short term. Yeah, I really want to try to make it back to Adepticon next year. That's had I've only been once, but the one time I went was super fun. So good, good shout out on that event. Um, what about you, Ryan? Uh, what's I know you guys. I think got some events coming up, and what are you planning on going to? And what do you? Uh, what's on your schedule? So as far as events coming up in region, uh, the next two I can't go to just because they fall right around my wife's birthday. So there's one up in Canada uh, in two weekends. Correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, but it's called Kipper's Melee, and that's kind of their biggest event of the year up there. Where you know they get pretty good attendance and i know there's a couple guys from portland going up for it and then the week after that uh ben stoddard hosts refugees of the old world so those two events are back-to-back weekends um and then after that um and actually this just came to be just right after dave kings is uh i'm not the to for the event but i'm going to be kind of running logistics and with the event is we're going to be running an event december 10th and 11th uh, to kind of kick off the new Clash of Kings book after people have had a chance to kind of look at it and sink their teeth in and see what they can come up with. So that's going to be uh, two days, five games at that uh, the same venues. The last one I hosted. Um, and so again, they're going to have very, very cool. food, food catered to the room. Um, and really, I mean, there were I had people asking if we were going to run the event because I had no plans on running an event that weekend, but. I had people say, hey, are, you, are we going to run that, you know, the Clash of Kings kickoff again? And, you know, I looked at the tournament schedule and we didn't have anything that weekend. And really, we don't have anything after for the rest of the year after refugees. There's nothing on the docket. So I was like, yeah, sure. If people want to do want an event. I'll make it happen. Um, so I think John McGrew is going to be the TO for it. He has expressed interest in TOing in the past. Um, and I just ran the last one that we hosted so you know he's gonna run it but i'm gonna handle like since i'm in contact with everybody at the venue i'm gonna handle the logistics there and kind of make sure 
that stuff kind of runs smoothly. So all the pre-event stuff I'll be doing, any of the day of stuff, that'll kind of be John. So if you're interested at all, reach out to me, let me know. Um, I should be able to, we should be in a new house by then. So I should be able to have a couple people stay with me that weekend. If lodging is an issue, um, again, as Jeremy Brinton said, you know, we understand it's tough to come out here. So if you're at all thinking about it, um, hit me up and I'd love to have you guys out here. So next event I'm going to outside of that one in December will probably be, I'm planning on going to Riddle again. And then after that, I have no idea. Uh, oh no, sorry. Rose city, uh, which is in March. That's Dan Wright's event in Portland. I plan to go to that one as well. And sometimes sharing tournament duties is great. I know Riddle of Steel is basically like the Holy Trinity, the trifecta, where it's Britton, Rashad, and Scott, and they're all sort of doing different things. Like, you know, Scott's got the food and the lodging. Britton's doing the day of and all the logistics. And Rashad is like the the hype man, you know. It's with set of the clock. He's got like a, a medallion of all these Conan swords just going, like getting people all hyped up. Yeah, I mean... In that one, Scott and Rashad do all the hard stuff, and I just sort of show up like the day of wedding planner with a laptop and try and make sure things run on time. <laughs> but it just shows you, you know, if you're if you're wanting to run an event, but you're just not sure you can do it by yourself, you know, get your buddies. Find find people to help you do, you know, uh, many hands make light work. So what about you, Luke? What's any shout outs or what's on your agenda? Yes, we've got Kipper's Melee in Nanaimo, BC in two weeks. So uh, if you're anywhere up in our corner of the world or uh, abroad, obviously, uh, we'd love to have you out there. There's still probably five or six slots open for it. Um, And then my league, which is really only relevant for uh, people in sort of Vancouver, Canada, uh, kicks off October 17th. It's going to be super casual. We're starting at about 500 points. you know, a lot of hobby scoring, and we're getting a ton of prize support. Uh, Mantic sent us a bunch of, a bunch of um, gift certificates. A local store is doing a nice little sponsorship of us. And then, uh, yeah, we've got some people donating some old uh, stuff in the closet, collecting dust. So if you're and in the are area, you playing with, um, with Drew, Allen, and um, all those guys, like the King's Retreat guys, is that lo- your local group? Uh, no, so they're on Vancouver Island, and I'm on okay. the mainland. Oh, you're uh, on the mainland. So, Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's our our meta is much smaller than theirs. They've had a, an insane boom over the last year or so. Um, so I'm I'm very jealous. But uh, you know we're we're neighbors, so we do uh, crossover for events and everything. Cool. Well, we have some some cool stuff coming out on the show. By the time this comes out, you'll have heard our cock. 2023 the new clash of kings books our initial response uh and sort of feelings on the changes we've recorded that already but will be released uh uh the monday of that release week which will be probably two days before this uh broadcast comes out but stay tuned for more clash of kings content i know Britton is terribly excited because he will be have he'll be having to don his scrying gem uh costume for when we return, uh, bring the scrying gems back together to do our deep dive into where we think the meta is going to be going post the new Clash of Kings. Uh, we will have Britton and Tom and probably Alex Kuse on that episode soon to talk uh, what changes uh, we think are going to affect competitive play moving forward. Yeah, it's the, it's the episode where we make bold predictions, mostly wrong, 
And then if Tom happened to say anything out of the 20 predictions he makes right, we will hear about it for the next year. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah, and this year, you know, it's not as many army changes as we saw in last class of Kings, but we've seen some fundamental rules altered and some things uh, taken out of the game, which have been in the game forever. So I think there's still plenty to talk about in thinking about how this update uh, has changed uh, competitive, the competitive scene and just gameplay in general. So st- uh, stay tuned for that. We're also going to be heading up a new uh, series on gamer health. And that means not how many people are playing your game, but how can we be gamers and also lead healthy, active lifestyles. So stay tuned for that. I'm really excited about that. We're getting some episodes together for that. Some ideas. I just want to thank you guys all for listening. Um, we really appreciate it at the show. We love doing these shows, but uh, we've been getting a, a lot of downloads late, lately and just want to really thank you guys our, as our audience for, for listening to the show. Um, I mean, we get up here and we have a good time, you know, but it's just like a, an excuse for us to get together and talk about the game we love. So the fact that any of you like to listen uh, makes me smile every day. So thank you very much. And remember to always keep counter charging Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the countercharge kings of war podcast facebook group If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 